Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Pastor John Mark Caton joins us today as we start a brand new series, Knowledge is Power. We're going to go over the different doctrines of faith that is important for us men to understand. And today, we're going over the doctrine of God. Now, let's hear from Pastor John Mark. All right. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, we do start a new series today, Knowledge is Power. And uh, we just really, over the next couple of weeks, want to step back and uh, look at some of the most important doctrines of the faith that we really need to uh, understand as uh, men and as uh, uh, people who walk according to God's Word and ultimately want to live out God's will. Uh, And today we're going to start with the doctrine of God, all right? Now I want you to know, uh, I know y'all think I'm awesome. I will promise you uh, in the next 35 minutes, I will not fully explain the doctrine of God to you. All right. I love what A.W. Tozer said when he says, what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It drives your thought processes, it drives your relationships, it drives everything about you. It it determines what kind of hope you have for tomorrow and ultimately for eternity. And and so as we look at the idea today of a doctrine of God, the doctrine of God, I don't want you just to think about the God that is way up there. And there is a God that is way up there. But I also want us to see as we walk through the doctrine of God that not only is God way up there and is He all-powerful and all-knowing and all-everything, but He's also right here. He is right here. And so we're going to be going around the Bible. Uh, Frazier is going to be uh, uh, spend a lot of time jumping from one verse to another, to another because I'm just going to touch on some of the aspects of God that I think are powerful as well as important for us. And I just want to show it to you in a scripture or two. We could spend almost in each one of these points, uh, 50, uh, we could go to 50 different verses. And we could literally let this series, this one, actually this one point God, take the next 52 weeks. But we're going to sit here and give you kind of a schematic of when we look at God's Word, when we look at the Bible, when we say the God of the Bible, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what God is that? And so uh, let me start by just asking some questions. There are are a couple of uh, words we use a lot uh, when we talk about God, and I want to hear your your definition. Somebody give me a definition. Do it quickly. Uh, When you hear the first word we think about God, omnipresence. How many of you ever heard that word before? All right, somebody just give me your best definition of the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. God is all around. Somebody else. All, all done. Now we're going to get there. That's, a, that's next. That's another omni. Uh, omnipresence is the first one. All right, so let me just give you a definition of that omnipresence. God is everywhere. Omni means all, and so any of these omnis we go. His presence fills the universe. He is every place at every time at all times. That's the omnipresence of God. All right, now here's the next one. Go back to this one, omniscience of God. What is the omniscience of God? What is that? All-knowing, all-knowing. The omni means all again, so here's your definition. God knows everything. He knows everything that has ever happened. 
He knows everything that is happening, and He knows everything that will happen. All right? So tomorrow might be a surprise to you. But I will promise you this, whatever goes on in your life in any moment, in any season, regardless how surprised you are, God didn't go, "Uh uh-oh. God knows everything. He is above time and space and matter and everything, and He knows everything. He sees it all. He sees eternity past just like He sees eternity future. God is referred to as omniscient. Here's the third one omnipotence. Somebody give me a definition of omnipotence. All powerful. So we've seen he's all present at all times. He is all knowing at all times. And he is all powerful at all times. And so here's kind of your definition of that. God is completely mighty, if you want to put it that way, and totally powerful. He has the power to do anything and everything he wants to do when He wants to do it and all for, for you and me. So as we think about God, when we think about if, if the most important thing about us is, as A.W. Tozier says, is what we think about when we think about God. Man, guys, when you use the word God, you need to think God is completely present in every space and in every place at all times. God is completely knowing about everything, past, present, and future. And God is totally powerful that regardless of how bleak things look and difficult things look, that God has the power over any circumstance and to change anything when he wants to. And so guys, as you leave here today, man, if, if, if that's what captures your attention, it'll change the way you talk. It, it'll change the way you relate to other people. It, it'll change the way you live. It'll also, listen to this, it'll change the struggle, the way you look at the struggles you're walking through. That here, I'm walking through a struggle. It might be a surprise to me today, but God knew it was coming. God has the power over this circumstance, this difficulty, this disease, this whatever it is. God can handle it. He knows the best answer for this. And sometimes, by the way, since God is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, God is smart enough and smarter than me and smarter than you smarter than you, that he knows that his answer is better than your answer. And his way is better than your way. And I will be honest with you, that is hard for us to grasp, isn't it, guys? Uh, As your pastor, I will tell you, uh, there have been numerous occasions when I've thought, let me ask you, have you ever thought that if I were God, how many of you ever said that out loud or at least in your mind? All right, the rest of you are liars or you are not deep thinkers, which I'm not going to point you out. The number of times I've thought, you know, if I was God, I could fix this. Come and tell you, if I was God, 
I could fix that whole Russia-Ukraine thing right now. How many of you know? There, if, if I was God, you know, I've known some good godly people. I will tell you this, as, as the pastor here for now, almost 28 years, and, and you're looking saying, you're old. I, I have seen some, some people who love Jesus and love his church in ways that when I look at their devotion to God and their love for God and the worship they've had and the faithfulness they've had and, and, and they're struggling with cancer and they die, I want to be honest with you. I have, as their pastor said, if I was God, that would have been a dude I would have healed. Guys, I want to be honest with you. There, there are some of you, there are some of these people that I've seen over in our church over the years that I've looked and thought, if I was God, if I was God, if I was God. But the beauty of the doctrine of God, it reminds us that we aren't God, but the God we serve has got this. He's got it with his power. He's got it with his knowledge, and he's got it with his presence. So now let's just begin to dive into God's word and, and look at a couple aspects. I encourage you to take some notes because we're going to walk through some aspects of God. The first question is, all right, if God is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, let's just start with just simply asking a question, simple questions. I won't dive all into apologetics today. That's not the point because I really want to give you the doctrine of God. But right now I just want to say, hey, uh, First question is, a lot of people say, well, how do I know God exists? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts, and you might want to just take these notes down. Uh, how do we even know that God exists? Well, number one, obviously, we know God exists in creation. He reveals himself in creation. There is a popular opinion. A lot of people think, well, you know, if, even if there is a God, that's what they would say. He, he's distant, he's uninvolved, he's disconnected with what's going on right now, and the truth is very different. That, first of all, God reveals himself in his creation, in nature. Look at Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare of the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, what are those last two words? They reveal knowledge. So let me just tell you, when we look at creation, it screams a creator. When we look at what we see that has been made and we look at all of, uh, of the natural laws that have been put together, that, man, all science is based on the reality that there was a lawgiver that put these laws into place that we can count on time and time again. How confusing would it be if the law of gravity didn't work every time? How many of you think you'd be a bit confused? If you, how many of you, if you walked out of that door and all of a sudden one day you went up, not down, or all of a sudden half of us went right, pulled by some gravitational pull out to the west, and, and others of us went to the left, pulled by some gravitational uh, pull from the east. Man, the reality, it would be so confusing. 
But day by day, the creation we experience reveals knowledge that God is a consistent, creative, intelligent being. All of science ba is based on the simple fact that there are no laws that preceded all of us that are set in place that scientists can trust and believe in the speed of light, how long it is. And so that's why a, a lot of times people, when um, they, they seem to be shocked when you think about this passage, the glory in the skies proclaim the works of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Guys, anytime you see some astronomer or something who's looked off and he's found another black hole or another distant universe, that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. Day after day, the skies pour forth speech. That there's never going to come a time as we get to a place, as we get more scientific and more technology, that we can't look further and further and further to the end of the universe and it reveal a little more about God. So when we think, how do we know God exists? The creation. All right, here's another passage. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, His omnis, His omnis, His omnis, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. How do we know God exists? Just looking at the creation. It doesn't matter what you do. I, I will. Here's what I know. I don't know who it is, but uh, every one of you are going to walk out here, get in a car, get in a vehicle. I can follow you out to your car. I don't know what it is, but at some point, I can look at the car you get in, and I can tell you this. There is a manufacturer. How many of us understood that? Behind that manufacturer is some sort of company. In that company were some sort of designers, and those designers were some people that put it together and manufactured. We don't walk out and say, wow. That's just an interesting conglomeration of accidental parts that showed up. Actually, I actually walked by some of your cars on the way in this morning. Y'all, there are a couple of y'all that have some accidental conglomeration of parts, right? Uh, but you know, no one does that, right? You don't. You don't walk out. Uh, uh, you don't walk out in in someone's backyard and see a garden and think, well, no one's the gardener. You don't look at a watch and think there's not a watchmaker. You can't step back and look at the universe and say, something didn't put this together. I mean, you do. It's intelligent. It's powerful. Man, so God reveals himself in such a way that, man, when you walk out at night and you see the creation, you see elk on the golf course, you're like, somebody put all this together. So thought number one, man, how do we know God exists? I look at creation. Here's number two. I'll just say um, he, God reveals himself in his word. God reveals himself in his word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God reveals himself in his word. You might just also, just in your notes, put 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Hey, no revelation 
is of a man's mind only, but moved along by the Holy Spirit to write out God's words. So just go read 2 Peter chapter 1. So God reveals Himself that there is a God, there is a Creator, there is a Designer that is all-powerful, and He's outside of time and space, so creation. Second thing is God's Word. God reveals Himself in His Word. So I want to encourage you. That's why we encourage you. Man, get into God's Word. Read God's Word day by day over and over again, and you will learn more about God. Here, here's a third thing. We just talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our series we're going through Encountering Jesus, John chapter 1. God reveals Himself through His Son, through Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who Himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made God known to us. Man, you want to know God's heart, God's place? Man, look at Jesus. Jesus perfectly revealed God to us. Jesus perfectly revealed God to us. John, here's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through our prophets in many ways and many times and in various uh, ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. So there it is again. He, he spoke to us in His Son and the universe. So when we think about God, God has revealed Himself to you. So uh, as we addressed a couple of weeks ago in the message, a lot of people say, you know, if, I would believe in God if He would just write my name in the sky. And truthfully, most people wouldn't. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, God's, God's written His name in every, your name in every gene in your body. 40 trillion genes, uh, cells in your body. In every one of your cells is a word that is 3.5 billion letters long. And it spells your name. And it is a program that is written for you. And more and more scientists who are agnostic or, uh, or atheistic, when they begin to look at that DNA string and they begin to look, they're like, someone put this together. Someone wrote this down. And so I want to encourage you, God has written His name in every star in the sky and every cell in your body. And all we have to do is be willing to accept it. And then study God's Word and look at His Son. You know, the prevailing thought is kind of like, you know, God is some distant God or uh, He, he, he just uh, uh, watches from afar our actions uh, when the reality of it is, guys, God is near. God is right here. God is involved in every detail, in every space, in every place. And so that's the kind of God we serve. So now here's, here's the bigger one. I thought, you know, we, it's good to just talk about God. We went through the omnis. Somebody give me your best definition or give it, uh, give it a try of something called the Trinity. Go. Three in one. All right. Three gods in one person. Three in one, three good. Huh? So when someone just got the prayer going, right? Yes, sir. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Love it. All right, three and one. All right, the word Trinity simply means a tri-unity. <clears throat> three and one. Now, somebody tell me where uh, somebody tell me where you find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not. So just so you know, some people they will say, "Well, I don't believe in the doctrine of Trinity because it's not in, not found in the Bible." There are a lot of words that are not we use all the time that are not found in the Bible. But the idea of a triunity or a unified Trinity is found all through Scripture. It's found in Genesis, it's found in Revelation, it's found in the Old Testament, it's found in the New Testament, it's found in the Torah, it's found in the prophets, it's found in the Psalms, it's found in the poetry, it's found in the Gospels, it's found in the Pauline letters, it's found in the book of Revelation. So the idea is there. The word Trinity just simply means triunity. Um, it's not found in the Bible, but it simply means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons but they are all one God. So it is truly three in one. There is one God. So, and this is something that you and I need to know because you might encounter people that, uh, that reject this idea. The idea that there is a Trinity, that um, you know, some people reject it because they don't understand it. They say, I, I, I just don't understand how something can be both three and one. And uh, then, then others are rejected because it's not found in Scripture. And they go, well, if the word Trinity was in the Scripture, I might just accept it. Uh, there are a lot of ideas that we can understand. We say, well, we don't get three and one and all. Well, we do, but I will tell you, uh, these all fall short. Um, take, take an example. By the way, this is not an example of the Trinity, but it is an example of three and one. How many of you uh, like eggs? You got one egg. It's got three parts. It's one egg, right? You got the shell, you got the egg white, you got the yolk. It's one egg. Now, don't take that too far. Don't say, well, God is the yolk, God is the yolk and uh, Jesus is, uh, is the white and the holy. Don't do that because while that is one egg and three different things, the shell is in fact different then the white, and the white is different than the yolk. So it really doesn't exactly say Trinity. The other thing we see that one thing, one substance can be a three as well. It's water, right? Take it down below 32 degrees, what happens to water? It freezes. Above it, it becomes water. Above 32, it becomes water. You take it too hot, make it 212, let it go up. What happens to it? Evaporates, becomes steam. So we understand the idea of something that is one can be three, but I want you to know, don't walk out of here and think that divines the Trinity. It just helps open the mind up to the idea that something that is one can also be multiples. So you mean, what do you mean God is a triunity? If the, if the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, why did we come up with that idea? Let me give it to you. Let me show it to you. First of all, God is one. Everybody say God is one. Let me show that to you. I want you to write down this note, write down this passage. God is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is called the Shema. This is, uh, the, the, this is the passage that every Jew learned, memorized, taught, taught to their scripture, and taught to their kids. 
This is the passage. If you read a couple of verses on, if you want to go look at it, this is where it says, man, as you walk by the road, talk about these when you get up, when you walk along, when you lie down, wherever. This is the passage. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is how many? How many? One. One. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember, a triunity. We're just looking at the one part. God is one. There is one God. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That word God, no other. There's not many gods. There is how many God? One God. Not a bunch of gods. Our God, the God that we serve, is not just one God among many gods. He is God, the one and only God, and there is no other. When we think about our God as being omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, there is not three more like Him. There aren't two more like Him. There aren't 50 more like Him. There is one God and there is no other. So He is one God. That's the singular part of it. All right. You say, then where do we get the tri part? The idea of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, let's just look through God's Word. First of all, uh, let's talk about the Father. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7. This is one verse. By the way, I can give you 50 on each one of these passages. Here's one. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. This is God. The Father is God. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and from our Lord from Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so notice the first thing we're seeing here, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. We rightly refer to God when it relates to the Trinity as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, notice what Paul says: Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, here it also says, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about a triunity, one God, there is no other like Him. He expresses Himself to us in three personalities. One is God the Father. So when we relate or when we talk to or we pray to the Father, we are praying to God, first person of the Trinity. And that's exactly what this passage, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I will tell you, there are a lot of people that uh, accept the idea that there is a God or there is one God. There are a lot of people that would also say that God is Father. That He is engaged in our life, He is active in our life, and so as we journey through life, there is a God and He is our Father. But see, the Trinity and what God, God is, how God has expressed to us in God's Word, it, it doesn't stop at God the Father because the second person of the Trinity is Jesus, His one and only Son. A lot of people question whether Jesus is fully God. They think, well, maybe at, at His baptism He became uh, divine. There are a lot of people that believe, and we're going to talk about His baptism, that at His baptism, this really, really good guy, became kind of divine when the Spirit came to him. And then they would say, well, he, so he kind of became a godlike figure from the point of his baptism till he died on the cross when the Spirit left him. But that's not what we're told about Jesus at all. 
What did it say in John chapter 1? It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So as you think through that, it's saying all the way back from eternity past, that word in the beginning, the Word was God and the Word was with God, that says Jesus was right there at the very beginning. Now you say, okay, so He was there from eternity past, but was Jesus fully God? Well, Paul answers that question for us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You say, Pastor, why would Paul make that statement right there? Uh, because when he was talking to the Colossian believers... Uh, the Colossian believers had kind of uh, a couple of ideas. They, they were, they were, many of them were Greek uh, philosopher type. That was their mindset. They had a dualistic mindset that matter was evil and spirit was good. Remember, just like the Logos we talk, talked about a couple of weeks ago, that, uh, that they believed, even the Greeks believed this, there was some perfect mind or eternal Logos or noose there was something spiritual that was perfect and what we see is the imperfect. And so here's what happened. People begin to look and, and people in Colossae and other places begin to look at this guy named Jesus. And they go, yeah, he's, and, and just this is their words, not my word. They say, he's better than us. He, he's better than us because the miracles he performed, the power that happened, the resurrection that took place, uh, walked on water, fed the 5,000. The Colossi believers, they, they had come to grips with Jesus was like no other. They accepted that. So here's what happened. These philosophers who had this idea that spirit was all good, but matter was evil, here's what they thought. And by the way, you're going to be able to impress some people with a word I'm about to tell you here in a second. So they as philosophers would step back and say, okay, if somewhere off in the distance you have perfect mind or perfect spirit, they would not have referred to him as God. They would have used the word logos, remember? And we have this created order that has evil in it. Okay, so they acknowledged there was evil, right? They acknowledged there was sin, there was death, there was difficulty, there was brokenness. They would ask the question, how could a perfect God, same question a lot of people ask today, create an imperfect world? Their response, well, first of all, the biblical response to that is what? That God created a world where He wanted free people to have the opportunity to choose to follow Him and worship Him, which created the opportunity for sin. God didn't create evil, God didn't create sin, but God didn't want to create robots. That's the way the Bible deals with it. But how they dealt with it is they didn't deal with it that way. They dealt with it by saying, well, here's what happened. They, and they looked around, they said, how did this mess happen? This mess we call the world with all the sin and death and difficulty in it. They said, well, this perfect God created a being who created a being who created a being who created a being who created a being. Now, you ever thrown a rock in a pond and you've seen the emanations come out, you know, the ripples come out? That's kind of what they had. They, they referred to those as emanations 
and emanations and emanations. And what they believe that as those creations were taking place, the next emanation was becoming less perfect. Everybody, on, everybody following me. So then you come down to someone who is powerful enough to create the world, but not perfect enough to create a perfect world. Now you say, is the answer to what you're talking about right now in this passage, I'm about to show it to you. So what they would say, these philosophers would say, you know, and the angels are here, and you might have an archangel there, and you might have this here. And understand, when you get down to the world, if you think of perfect God, 100% perfect. This God we can never connect with, never know. It's the Logos, eternal Logos. But that Logos created this being that might have been 99% perfect in God. And then they created another being who created... And you understand how everything's becoming less perfect along the way. That's how, that's how whatever it was that was powerful enough to create the universe wasn't powerful and perfect enough to create a perfect world. So you had all these emanations going down. So less and less God. Is it, are, are you all following me? So now all of a sudden you got you know less and less God. So what these guys... Philosophers who were doing, they were looking at Jesus going, He's not one of us. Miracles, resurrection, teaching, clearly He was God. Where do we put Him in on the scale? Are you tracking me? Some of them were putting Jesus way high on the scale. They were saying, Okay, I'm throwing numbers out. I don't. I, this is not in, in, in the Bible verse. He, he's 60, 60% pure God. Some of the other ones were saying, no, 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 no. Jesus goes way, way higher on the scale. By the way, they, they had angels that they slotted in the scale, by the way. They would slot angels. And, and that's why if you go look at Hebrews, what does what the writer of the book of Hebrews say? Greater than the angels. Why? Because a lot of people had this scale in their mind. And he said, all right, Jesus, is he greater than the angels or better than the angels? So these philosophers were trying to slot in how awesome Jesus was. They were acknowledging, men, that Jesus was awesome. They were just debating on how awesome he was. Does that make sense? And so now Paul shows up. He just kind of in his mind looks at their scale. And by the way, these emanations we're talking about, they called this, the Greek word is pleroma. Pleroma. That would be the fullness. So now let's read the Bible verse and notice what Paul says. He says what? Colossians 2.9. For in Christ... All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He says, when, he says, take your little scale, your little 99 to 1, and take that pleroma, that fullness, all that you say sums up into the Godhead and put it in that man Jesus in bodily form. Here's what, Jesus, here's what Paul did. He took their whole philosophical system, scooped it up, and said it's all in Jesus Christ. Fullness of deity in bodily form. That blew them away. Remember, 
One of the struggles they had with Jesus was the fact that, boy, they saw matter was evil. There were people called docetics. There were docetics. That just that word dose in Greek just means to appear. There were some people that thought Jesus, they really thought Jesus was amazing and awesome, but they thought that he just appeared as a man. That he couldn't be a real man and been God at the same time, so they thought he was kind of a ghost. And that's why it was important. Jesus, uh, Paul was taking their philosophy, said, no, he showed up in bodily form. He was saying, listen, God, all the fullness of this deity you argue about, showed up in bodily form. Jesus wasn't a ghost. And so that's the idea that, listen, God the Father is God. Jesus is fully God. Here's a, here's a third thought. This is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. Look at John 14, verse 16. Just going to give you one verse. Could, we could go over to Ananias as far and lying against God. Let me just show you this one thing here. It says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. The key that word there is another. You might want to circle that word another. Another advocate to help you uh, and be with you forever. So that word another, there are several words in the Greek for another. Some means another of a very different kind. This word means another of a very same kind. Jesus is saying when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to be just like me. He's going to be just like me. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All are God. Jesus isn't a little God. He's not a small God. He's fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form. You say, all right, Pastor, and we're going to go through these quickly. I know, I know we're out of time. I want, I want you to see these. Type these down. Where do we see then the Trinity in Scripture? Go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Just hang on. In the beginning, God, that word Elohim, there is a singular and a plural in the original Hebrew. That word God in the, in the Hebrew is plural. So you see the plurality of God in the fourth word in the Bible. In the beginning, God, that's a they created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, so you see the Spirit of God. You see plural in the first verse. In the second verse, you see the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Jump down, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We think about the plurality of God. Then God said, let us, us, in that plural, let us make mankind in our image, our in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move along. So notice, we're in Genesis chapter 1. The idea of multiplicity or trinity is found right there in God's Word. Us, Elohim, right there. Jump forward to Jesus' baptism. I could do a bunch of these. Go all the way to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 17. As soon as Jesus, everybody say one, was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit of God, everybody say now two, there's two people of the Trinity, descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice that is somehow still in heaven, God the Father said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So right there at Jesus' baptism, you see the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All right, now what about the Great Commission? 
Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three. So when you think about God, He is one, but He is three. You say, Pastor, explain it to me. Let me just tell you this. If I, in my mind, could fully explain it to you, He wouldn't be much of a God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity just to, just to go a little seminary today, to go a little doctrine today, and no better doctrine than the doctrine of God because what we think when we think about God is the most important thing we will ever think about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.